0: Please take your Bibles as we continue to worship and turn to 2 Corinthians, chapter 5. And this morning, we're going to look at selected scriptures, but we're going to start with 2 Corinthians, chapter 5, and we'll look at many. The the title of the sermon is Evangelism Point... Zero zero one. It's not evangelism one oh one, but point zero zero one. And I hope that throughout this sermon, you'll I hope I'm clear enough so that you'll understand what I mean by evangelism point zero zero one. Let me pray, and then we'll get into God's word. Lord, we give you the glory. We thank that you are with us, and we thank you that you are for us. And if you are for us, Then who can be against us? And so we praise you for that, Lord. We pray that you'd be exalting, exalted through the preaching and the hearing and the doing of your word for Christ's sake. Amen. This weekend, I decided to take my kids fishing. We have fished a little bit, but, but not too much, but I grew up fishing. But then I thought, you know what? Why should I do that? It's really a hard work to go fishing. So we didn't go. Have you ever gone fishing? I know some of you have. It's really hard work. Have you ever tried to to bait a hook? I used to put shrimp on a hook. And you know, sometimes, I had to do it three or four times to put the hook like, you know, like right behind the head so the arms and the legs can still wiggle like that. Have you ever put a worm and all the guts come out? It's, it's hard work. And, you know, I, I just... Is it really worth it to go fishing and to do that hard work? Have you ever caught a flounder? It's really—I've caught so many flounders right beside Cape Canaveral, so many times. It's so hard to reel those in because what do they do? They turn like this. (laughs) It gets really difficult. Have you ever caught a hammerhead shark? Small ones, like about this big they are really hard because they turn the other way and you're fishing in the surf. So I just said, forget this. It's, it's, it's hard work. I'm not going fishing. I would rather eat a cupcake. That's what I would rather do than go fishing. This weekend, I decided I would take my kids fishing. But I decided then, well, probably we'd have to get on a boat there could be waves. I could get seasick. Thinking about the hurricane in Florida. I grew up in Florida. The waves they could turn that boat over. What if we were eight miles out and the boat turned over? I have caught some big fish and I read stories about men that caught grouper and that fell off and by not on purpose, but by accident, the grouper swallowed the person at least half the person, the person drowned from a grouper. I've seen most of the Jaws movies. Not not recently, two decades ago, I could be fishing, I could get eaten by a shark. Who knows? It could be Russia, it could be China, they could bomb me. So I decided, I'm not going to take the kids fishing, it's too dangerous. There's no way scares me to death i'm not going fishing now those two scenarios scenarios may seem just ridiculous but the excuses i gave to not go fishing were basically i'm lazy that's going to require hard work and fear do those have anything to do with not evangelizing for me, at least right now, it's not so much fear and evangelizing. It was early on, but now it's laziness. There are times when maybe Lisa's relatives will say, Tom, you know, being a Buddhist and and, and you being a Christian, there really isn't that much of a difference, right? I mean, we, we both believe in God. We believe in Jesus. You believe in Jesus. And inside my head, I'm thinking not, oh, I, I'm afraid, But I'm more of, oh, if I answer this, then it's going to be a long conversation. And there's some really good food in that table that I would like to go for. Uh, But if I get into this, it's going to be really hard work. And then I have to explain all these different things. So sometimes, I'm not saying that this is right. But in my mind, I, I kind of picture in my mind the Lord saying, I'm going to add another book to the Bible right after the book of Jonah. It's called the book of Tom the lazy preacher the lazy evangelist so whatever what i'm saying is that we can have different excuses but often we can have either laziness or fear or maybe both to not share the gospel e- even after 40 years 40 no 40 yeah 40 plus years of being a believer there are times not not so much fear sometimes fear but more now, laziness of sharing the gospel. So this morning, what I would like to do is to encourage us and to encourage me and you that there are at least six things that we can do to overcome laziness and fear. So I'm going to give you six points. Now, before we look at those six points, just to remind ourselves about the gospel, God calls us to share the gospel, make disciple of all the nations, that involves at least fundamentally sharing the gospel. The gospel, we can see that in Romans 4.25, for he was delivered up for our transgressions and rose again to justify us. The gospel is that God became a man, Jesus, lived a perfect sinless life, never sinned once, died on the cross for every sinner that would believe in him, and again conquering sin and and death and and judgment, and now to their right hand, of God interceding for all those who have trusted Him. And if you trust, if you turn and trust Him, you can have all your sins forgiven. That's the gospel, and we've gone over that, of course, many times, and that's what we share with people. But there are times when, out of laziness or fear, we can be hesitant to share the gospel. How can we be more bold and more consistent and more faithful to share the gospel? Well, there's at least six points. I'm sure there's more. But I, I thought of these six. And so, number one, ways to overcome to overcome laziness and to overcome fear. Number one, get closer to the Lord. Get closer to the Lord. And we see this in 2 Corinthians chapter 5, verses 11 and 14. In much of the book of 2 Corinthians, Paul is defending his ministry, but especially in chapters 2 to 5. And in chapter 5, verse 11, he says, Therefore, knowing the fear of the Lord, we persuade men, but we are made manifest to God, and I hope that we are made manifest also in your consciences. And then on down in verse 14, For the love of Christ controls us, having concluded this, that one died for all, therefore all died. There are two motivations that are here, the fear of the Lord and the love of Christ. And these energized and empowered and propelled Paul to do ministry, both to evangelize and to do ministry to the believers. Whether they were redeemed or unredeemed, Paul was faithful in his ministry and overcame laziness and fear because it says in verse 11, look at verse 11, He knew the fear of the Lord, and then second, he was compelled by the love of Christ. And often we can put those two attributes, those two descriptions, those two type of emotions against each other, love and fear. But here you have what seem to be contradictory components, both fear and love, working together. Now, when you look at this text, you can see in verse 11, you can see the word knowing, and that's basically an adverbial participle modifying persuade. Paul says, we persuade, myself and my apostolic team, we're doing ministry because we have this frame of reference of the fear of God, of the fear of the Lord. And in Second Corinthians, as in all of Paul's epistles, Lord is usually referring to Jesus That's chapter 1, verse 2, in the Lord Jesus Christ. We saw last week, if you remember, Paul said, submit to one another in the fear of Christ. And so Paul here is saying, we persuade men. Why do we do that? Because there is this modifying, controlling factor of the fear of the Lord that we have had, and, and that we have. We are convincing people to trust Jesus Christ, to repent and follow Christ, because we fear Jesus. It's not that we fear them, it's that we have a certain fear of God. And so we persuade all men to get right with Christ. And then he expands on that and elaborates on that and applies that a little bit. And then in verse 14, he's going to give more grounds for what he just says. And he grounds it in verse 14 in the love of Christ. For this love of Christ controls us. It's the idea of it seizes us. It surrounds us. This is also motivating us to persuade all men to preach Christ to all men, to to the redeemed and the unredeemed. And it's talking about not our love for Christ... But Christ's love for us, because if you look at the context of verse 14, it talks about his effective ministry, about his effective particular redemption. He says he died for all, yes, for all that belonged to him, because he says later on in this same verse, well, at verse 14, therefore all died, and he died for all, so that they might live no longer for themselves, but for him who died and rose again on their behalf. That effective substitutionary atonement that secures and saves all those who trust Him. Well, that came forth from the love of Christ, right? But God demonstrates His own love for us. But yet we were sinners. Christ died for us. So there are these two motivations that Paul is giving when he's talking about his ministry that encourages him, empowers him, that that gives him the freedom to overcome laziness and fear, to preach Christ, to evangelize, and that is the fear of the Lord and the love of Christ. The fear, if you remember, we're not talking about being terrorized, ah, no, uh, we're talking about frank, what did we say, remember? Frank estimation about the Redeemer, that's an acronym you could use, or this awe and this Adoration, this awe and adoration, maybe of a tornado, maybe even of a hurricane. But I've seen water spouts in the Gulf and in the Atlantic, and there's scary, raw power, but at the same time, there's a lot of beauty that's there as well. So we see Christ, we know that he's the lamb and the lion, the savior and the king. And so there is this godly fear, but also then there is this love of Christ to us and out of that us to him now as we get ta- as we're talking about this remember as get that, that's the first point get closer to the lord as we're talking about this notice in the text that it's not just this intellectual cognitive aspect verse 11 says again knowing there's something cognitive that's there but if we keep Looking at the text, like, for example, verse 16. Therefore, from now on, we recognize no one according to the flesh, even though we have known Christ according to the flesh. Yet now we know him in this way no longer. Paul saying, I do know facts about Christ. And even as an apostle, Paul would have seen Jesus, the resurrected Jesus. But Paul's saying, I also know him with not seeing him now. Paul is talking about, both in verse 11 and in verse 16, that there is, yes, there's this intellectual, cognitive knowledge that he has of facts and data, but there is all, also this, this intimacy that he has in his heart to where he not just understands, but he's, he's gripped by it in his very being. For example, this is why we have seen in Ephesians chapter 3, when he prays for the believers at Ephesus, he prays in verse 18 that they may comprehend with all the saints what is the breadth and length and depth and height to know the love of Christ, which surpasses knowledge that they might be filled up to all the love, to all, all the fullness of God. So what I am saying is that for Paul, when he talks about this fear of the Lord and this love of Christ, they control him. They constrain him, empower him, impel him. The fear of Christ moves him and even gives him a a, a type of freedom to do ministry because it's not just words on a page, but it's deep within the abscesses, the the deep corners of his heart. He truly knows the fear and the love of Christ. He, He knows the Messiah in Psalm 2. He's kissed the Son and taken refuge in Him. He's gotten close to the Lord. This is the first point. I believe we can see it this way. The longer that I know Christ and the more that I get closer to Him, the more I see how marvelous He is, and the more He matters to me, and then the more that I'm going to be free to gladly share Christ. I will naturally share Christ more and more the more I know him. Now, clarification. Just because somebody shares the gospel doesn't mean that they are necessarily closer to the Lord. Some people share the gospel out of guilt. Some people share the gospel out of peer pressure. Some people can share the gospel in a vivid way because of their personality. They're already extroverts. But, however, if you are really close to Jesus and you're excited, your, your heart is happy but broken with the love of God and Christ, then naturally, because he's impacted you, you're going to share about him. He means something to you. More than anything. Anything. So gladly, sincerely, you'll tell others about your Savior. Getting closer to the Lord will cause fear and laziness to to be defeated in your life, in terms of sharing the gospel. The fear of Christ and the love of Christ become greater motivation than laziness or fear. So that to say this. Effective evangelism is not primarily or mainly accomplished by an event or a program. Or reading a book. Or going to a conference. Or even hearing this sermon. But by you personally first being saved, knowing Christ. And then secondly, as a believer, getting closer and closer and closer to Jesus. Because he's real to you. That's the first point. A second point. A second point to help us to overcome laziness and the fear to evangelize is this. Pursue godliness. Pursue godliness. I did not say pursue giftedness. You could be very gifted and not be godly. (laughs) It's true. You could be very gifted... And not be godly. What you want to pursue is godliness. 2 Timothy chapter 2. And look at verse 20 to 22. And here Paul's talking to Timothy. And it could be. It could be that Timothy was dealing with timidity and fear. Because he talks about that in chapter 1 of 2 Timothy. And he says in verse 7, For God has not given us a spirit of fear, of timidity, but power of love and a sound mind. Now in chapter 2, he's given many different types of injunctions, imperatives, different types of advice. Now listen to verse 20 to 22. Now in a large house, there are not only gold and silver vessels, but also vessels of wood and of earthenware, some to honor and some to dishonor. Therefore... If anyone cleanses himself from these things, he will be a vessel for honor, sanctified. Here's the key word, useful to the master, prepared for every good work. Now flee from you for lust and pursue righteousness, faith, love, peace with those who call on the Lord from a pure heart. Key word there, I think, at least for us on this sermon, is in verse 21, useful. We want to be useful and if you look at verse 21 it says if anyone cleanses himself from these things then he will be useful there is a condition that is here now God can use and has a donkey God and has used a false prophet God can and has used anybody anytime any way he wants to he's God he can do whatever his heart purposes to do. But normally, the ordained person that God uses is somebody that is clean. Again, verse 21. If anyone cleanses himself from these things. Paul was using this previous illustration that there are, as all of us know, at least in the U.S., and even this illustration here, normally, the the wife has really special... Forks and spoons and plates. I think we have forks and spoons and plates. You know, a very delicate, fine china that maybe we've used in ten years. Maybe we've used seven times. Maybe. And they're very special and they're very clean. And they're set apart for, for honor and for special use. And here, Paul is saying, in a similar way, God will set people apart for special use that are, verse 22. They're running hard after godliness. Now, we can't say they're fleeing from lusts, youthful lusts, and pursuing godliness. But we can say further that most Christians... Because they have the Spirit of God. The Spirit of God is inside of them, crying out, Abba, Father. And that Spirit of God gives us gifts and breaks our hearts. Most Christians want to share the gospel. Isn't that true? E- even though maybe maybe this morning you would say, I'm not that faithful in sharing the gospel, but I, I want to. And I should be. Because we have First Peter 2, 9. But you are a chosen race, a royal priesthood, a holy nation, a people for God's own possession so that you may proclaim the excellencies of him who has called you out of darkness into his marvelous light. By nature of God rescuing us, then there is a, a burden, a responsibility that naturally we have, but even that's naturally in our hearts that moves us to proclaim how great, how awesome, how wonderful, how marvelous, how peerless God is, how awesome he is. Well, how, how do we do that? We pursue godliness. And verse 21 is saying that. Uh, it's sanctified. That means not, oh, San amigo. It, It's not like, like a liturgical word, sanctified. It's set apart. God's going to say, I'm going to put this person over here because I'm going to use them. Why? They went to seminary. No. Why? Because they've read 10 books on evangelism. No. Why? Because they're like Jesus. Because they're like Christ. That's what verse 22 is saying. This person that is that is clean, they've been a fugitive. The word flee is the Greek word fuge. They've, they've fled. They've been a fugitive. They're, they're running away. They're hiding from. They're running as fast as they can from this danger of lust. And instead, they're pursuing what? Righteousness, faith, love, and peace. Peace. They're, they're not trying to unnecessarily cause arguments. They they not they, they might get it. In a, they might get in an argument, but they're not argumentative people. They love. They're making glad sacrifices. They're making glad sacrifices for those that have needs. Verse twenty two, faith. They're being faithful. They trust God. And they're doing what they've said. Righteousness. They have Christ-likeness. They seek to obey the Word of God. Basically, they're being godly. They're running from self-centered desires and seeking, not perfectly, but seeking to be more and more like Jesus. So, summarizing this verse, yes, it's saying the Lord can use anyone... But God normally uses a vehicle of holiness. Do you remember, maybe you've heard this quote, and this would be a paraphrase, from Robert Mary McShaney. Robert Mary McShaney. So he, made, he wrote a letter to another man in ministry and said, basically, it's not so much great talents that God blesses, but likeness to Jesus Christ. A holy man is an awful weapon in the hands of God. Did you hear that? Robert Cheney wrote this letter to a pastor and said, Brother, it's not so much great talents that God blesses, but likeness to Jesus Christ. A holy man is an awful weapon in the hands of God. The way to be used by God and evangelism, first, get closer to the Lord. Be sure you know Jesus, then as a Christian, get closer to him. But also, pursue godliness. It's not though God does. It's not simply extremely gifted people that God uses, but people that are godly. It's not extreme giftedness that God must use. God may even delight to use someone that may not be that may not appear as gifted, but is more godly. The truth of the matter is, you and I, we can go to a gospel event, we can hand out a track, papers, I've done it, but yet maybe not that godly. We can fake it, in other words, when we're part of, of a big event. We can all show up, you know, preach, hand out tracks, be part of a band, or whatever we're doing. And I've known people that are not really that godly, but they are gifted. You can be bold and yet not be godly. But if you're godly, there's going to be this humble, broken, contriteness that God will use and that can even be attractive to people as you are humbly sharing the gospel from a heart that is broken and sincere and pursuing Christ. Get closer to the Lord, pursue godliness. Number two, start with your neighbors. Start with your neighbors. Mark 12, verse 31. Mark 12, verse 31. We could go to Leviticus, but we were in the book of Genesis for 50 years. So now we're in Mark, and maybe we're staying in the New Testament. Mark chapter 12, verse 31 says, Jesus is summing up the, really the whole Bible, but he's given the two greatest commandments. And he says, the second is this, you shall love your neighbor as yourself. There was no other commandment greater than these. Right, First, love the Lord your God, with all your heart, soul, mind, and strength. Second, love your neighbor as yourself. So first, love your neighbor as yourself. Now, if your house, I don't think you have these in Washington. Maybe, maybe you do. Do you have sinkholes in Washington? I don't, probably too many rocks. In Florida, there would be sinkholes, and I'm not exaggerating, there were sinkholes that would gobble up a whole automobile sales lot. Porsches and Lamborghinis were down at the bottom, about 100 feet deep. Disneyland was built. They fought on a sinkhole at first, and so they had to do a lot of land fill in. Suppose your house was going to be swallowed by a giant sinkhole that was really created by cave trolls. So your house is going to be swallowed up by a sinkhole that was created by a group of evil cave trolls and they want to not eat you, but they want to enslave you forever. You and your family. Would you want somebody to come over, your neighbor, and say, Hey, uh, Tom, I'm just letting you know, there's a big sinkhole right under your house, and it was created by evil cave trolls. No. It's real, and they're going to enslave you forever. Would you want your neighbor to come and tell you that? I tell you the truth, if that was true, there are several neighbors of mine, like Jose, you've heard of Jose, the family that brings us food. He he would drag me out, and I'm not exaggerating, he and his kids and his wife would drag us out in order to save us. Even my non-Christian neighbors would drag us out of the house. I think this is why, you know, Teller and Miles, those two magicians, the big guy and the short guy, the big guy said, and he's an atheist, he, he basically said, how horrible can a Christian be? How horrible can a Christian hate people not to share the gospel? So he's an atheist, he's an unbeliever. He said, how horrible and hateful can a Christian be not to share the gospel? So what I understand, the Bible says, is your neighbor is anybody that, that you comes in, in contact with, right? So first your family, and then those people that live right around you. Right there. They're going to hell. Worse than cave trolls. And so, how do we evangelize? Well, we can start with our family, with our close friends, start w- with our neighbors. And I think that exegetically, this is substantiated by Matthew 28, Matthew 28, verse 19, when it says, Go therefore and make disciples, you might see an italics number 1 or an A or something by go, and the Greek is going. The main verb is make disciples. Make disciples, that's modified by going. It's an or participle. But Matthew placed it first to emphasize the only way that you can make disciples of all the nations is if you are going about, is if you're in the world and and in society. And as you are going is the idea. As you're going about life, you are seizing opportunities to share the gospel. So then how, how do we do this? You know, again, my, my wife, and she's not here this morning trying to get well uh, in order to prepare for the coming memorial for her father. By the way, on the way to church, my mom called me and said, Tom, I'm praying for you. I'm praying that God would anoint you for your preaching. Said, mom, thank you. That's awesome. I need it. I need all the help I can get. Thank you, Mom. So I'm glad, even though she's mourning the passing of her husband, she's calling me and to say, Tom, I'm praying for you today. That's awesome. And uh, I'm grateful for her. She's good at it too, but so is Lisa, as good at seizing the moment to evangelize. I- I've told you, we've been in many restaurants. And Lisa just, she's very good. She'll, it's very natural She'll so just start sharing the gospel with the waiter. Just very natural. And I'm thinking more of, you know, where's my food? And she's just... I've been with Victor Bruce. Some of you know Victor Bruce. Every time he said, Tom, let's go to Home Depot, I learned, no, I'm not going with you. Because we go to Home Depot, I'm not exaggerating. He shares the gospel with you know so many people there. And some of you here are in this room are the same way. You go someplace and you share the gospel. I've been with George. I was with George at Five Guys and Fries. And it got to a point like, George, I'm not going to Five Guys and Friends with you again because it ends up you're sharing the gospel and we can't even talk. Some people are very gifted at being able to uh, seize the moment and share the gospel that way. You know, I'm not really built that way, but some things it's easier for me to do as a pastor. So like on Sundays... If I go to Baskin-Robbins, we'll say, how was your Sunday? Oh, great, you know, I I was able to preach the gospel. Then I can share something that way. Or somebody in in our neighborhood might have a need. There could be somebody needs a ride to the airport. Somebody needs the yard mode. There can be somebody needs prayer. There's a man whose wife died. Tom, you're a pastor. Can you come and pray? Uh, My neighbor beside me, he died. Tom, can you do the memorial service? Yes. So there always are opportunities like this in our neighborhoods and some way to share. And I know some of you go on walks with people in your neighborhood. That's awesome. Those are the kind of things we need to do. I, it's not wrong to have an event, to have in a program, but those are like sprinkles on, on, on a cake. Evangelism begins in the, the meat of evangelism and even its its ending point happens mostly where you are where you are at the way that we reach the world is not by having huge events it's by you being faithful where you are to share the gospel that's how we reach the world you being faithful where you are with wisdom and humility and not being rude you know now one of the points of loving your neighbors you, you love them by doing things for them, and you love them by sharing the gospel, and then you should be careful not to be rude like I was. So I was in my backyard during the day. It was a beautiful day. This is, I don't know, kids, some time ago, three or four months ago, and I was working on, working on my computer. I was working on a sermon. Oh, yeah. Thank, thank you, Jesus. Thank you, Jesus. That dynamite. All of a sudden, water flies over the fence, and it flies right into my computer. And the next door, Malka, whose brother in law died, came out of Happy Donuts, ate their donut, fell, hit his head, and died, and I did his memorial service. Well, Malka's grandson, his grandson, was, was over there, planted a pool, and so water came over, I got on my computer, so I got so upset. This is too I said, this is $2,000! You just ruined $2,000! I can't believe this! And so I I took my computer inside, trying to dry it out, and all of a sudden on my door. I'm going to give this person a piece of my mind, man. This is the work of the Lord. My computer. So it's Melka. She's a 72-year-old, right? 70, 72? Filipino woman that is an American and speaks fluent Japanese and many other languages. And she's weeping. She's she just she's crying, Pastor, Pastor, Pastor. I'm so sorry. That wasn't my grandson. That was me. Oh my word! You know, my heart then just goes. Mmm <laughs> oh <my> gosh. <laughs> like, I'm going to hide behind the bush here. Oh, I felt so bad. So I said, you know, please forgive me because I, I I yelled. I said I I should have been careful with my anger. Please forgive me from my anger. I was wrong. I, I should have got angry. Oh no, no, no! You're a computer. <laughs> so I hugged her, gave her a kiss on her head, I said, said, no, "I love you, Melka. Computer is nothing. You mean more to me than the computer." But that was really humbling because <laughs> that was rude. And in that, though, I think through that I was able to. And we've shared the gospel with her many times. She comes from a Roman Catholic background. I shared with her that our sins, are, my sin, is forgiven because of Christ. Not because I'm a pastor, but because of Christ and his faithfulness. And so even if you do blow it with your neighbors, that's an opportunity to ask for forgiveness and then preach the the grace of Christ. So what I'm seeing, what the Bible says, to be effective in evangelism, get closer to Jesus, pursue godliness, and then start with your neighbors. You know, the people in your family, Your close friends, those that live around you—that's the way we reach the world. The people that are around you reach the world. You know, reach them. You know, don't don't worry about that. I shouldn't say don't worry, but before or think about or or be sure that you're talking people, you're talking to people around you about Jesus before maybe going to where the Seahawks play football and trying to share the gospel there. There's nothing wrong with going there and sharing the gospel, but are you sharing the gospel with people that live around you? Do that. Number four. Number four. This is the fourth point. Get over not having the gift. Get over not having the gift. You know, many times I've heard people say, maybe here, I can't remember, I don't have the gift. So I can look at Victor Bruce. He has the gift. I look at George. George has the gift. Craig may have the gift. Those guys have the gift of evangelism. It just... Just spend time with them, and eventually, they will share sure the gospel. When I was in India, there used to be this guy from Wireway on Brian. Every time I'd have Bible study, he would be late. Every I, I thought it was me. You know, I'm, I'm not the best, but he's like always like 40 minutes late. Then finally, his wife said, yes, we have the... An agreement that if he comes late, I'm to understand it's because he's sharing the gospel. He was always sharing the gospel everywhere he went. And I think that my temptation, and sometimes maybe your temptation, general you all, is that we can think that person has the gift, and so I don't. And so that's kind of an excuse for me because they could have the gift. and and I don't. But I I want to share something with you, and I want you to think about it. If you would turn to Romans 12, turn to Romans 12, and you were to read from verse 4, 5, 6, say verse 6 and 7 and 8, there's no gift of evangelism in Romans 12, six to eight there, it doesn't mention that if you were to go to 1 Corinthians chapter 12 and look at the gifts anywhere from chapter 12 to 14 of First Corinthians, there's no gift of evangelism you can look at verse seven, eight, 9, ten there, there, there's no gift of evangelizing. now it does say back in the book of Ephesians, It does talk about an evangelist. In chapter 4, verse 11, it says, He gave some as apostles, some as prophets, some as evangelists, and some as pastors and teachers. There are some people, individuals, that God has gifted by spiritual gifts, by providence and personality, that can be evangelists, and that could be the idea of church planters like a Dinesh. But it doesn't say here that that's actually a spiritual gift, per se. So what I'm saying that the Bible says, the Bible doesn't say that individuals that are sharing the gospel more than I am, they're doing that because they have the gift of evangelism. Sorry, the Bible doesn't say it like that. Now, it could be personality, it could be providence, it could be the makeup of their spiritual gifts. Could be they're, maybe they're closer to Jesus. Maybe they're more broken over their own sin. Could it be that they're more faithful? I I don't know, but I, I do know that we can't say, I don't have the gift, therefore I can't evangelize. Maybe I'm not going to evangelize like them. But, am I going to say this? You know, my wife Lisa, she has the gift of mercy. But don't you dare come to me looking for mercy. Because I don't have the gift of mercy. Don't come to me. You know, some of you like to serve. I'm not going to serve because I don't have the gift of service. I'm not going to teach my kids because I don't have the gift of teaching. Do you understand? Am I being clear what I'm saying? People are given certain spiritual gifts. That doesn't mean if I don't have the gift, I don't necessarily do that. Rather, people are given spiritual gifts to, in a sense, lead the way. So even if there is a gift of evangelism, it's not what they do, their evangelism, and I'm not going to. No, then they lead the way in evangelism. So we have to be very careful that we're not, yeah, these individuals, they're very gifted. And so that, you know what? Can I follow their example just a little bit? Just a little bit. Yes. Just a little bit I can. If you were out in a forest that, that you knew well, you, you really knew this forest very well, you had you hiked there many times, and you came across a little boy and girl, and they were lost. And they said, Madam or Sir, we're lost and we've been out here for hours. And, You know, they're kind of crying. We don't know how to get home. Can you help us? No, I'm not a forest ranger. And then you just go on your, your way. But is that what we do in evangelism sometimes? I'm not gifted. I'm not gifted. You know what? God's given us the gospel. All I have to say is... If you can't say anything else, for God so loved the world that he gave his only son, that all the ones who are believing on him will not perish, but have everlasting life. God will use that. Even that is pointing the way. God will use that. There is a fifth point, number five. Hit your fear head on. Are you afraid to share the gospel? Hit that fear head on. Now, Scripture says, basically, fear God only, right? Psalm 23, I think it's verse 4. Even though I walk through the valley of the shadow of death, I will fear no evil, for you are with me. God is for me, then who can be against me? What what am I going to fear? God is with me. God is for me. I fear Christ. It's fearing the Lord propels me to evangelize, Fearing anything else will make me take refuge in other places besides God. I need to fear God, to have awe and adoration toward him. I think something to help us is to do something that we fear with with, with reason and with sensibleness. I always feared public speaking. I, I dreaded it. I, I hated it. My mouth... Would just get so dry. Do you know that before I speak anywhere, even 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 before I came up here, I'm nervous every single time for thirty years or more. Every single time, there's a nervousness. There's this. I, I don't want to do this. I I, I can't do it. You know, it's not going to work out. Every, every single time. You know, every almost every time before I share the gospel, there is this hesitation. This, but, 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 but. But then one day in college, in a public college, I had to take a speech class. It was required. I had to take it. And so I, I took the speech class, and it was difficult. There were some very interesting circumstances and things that happened but the the Lord used it and I got through it and it ended up being a good time So find something that you fear and try to head it head on maybe it's swimming you know do you do you not know how to swim maybe you're afraid take swimming lessons have you ever repelled off of a cliff? man I I haven't done it in a while but standing on, on that ledge, and the guy says, go back. What? Go back. Just lean all the way back. What? It'll be easier for you if you lean all the way back. And then you go over the ledge, you know, and it's like, oh, my word, Lord. I, I take a few. I, I, by God's grace, my college roommates used to repel, and so we would go repelling. And that helped me to overcome my fear. I'd probably be afraid if I did it again now. Find something that you're afraid of and seek to do it. I've shared with you, I was terrified of passing semi-trucks. Long story, because of taking too many uh, B12 for for too long for my own system. The only way I overcame that is that we went to Idaho. And so I had to pass many trucks. And I was able to pass semi-trucks, and nothing happened yet. Of course, I was hit three weeks ago by a drunk driver. But besides that, nothing's happened, and I'm still alive. So what I'm saying is then take something that you're afraid of and do it. Okay, I was able to do that. By the strength of Christ, by God's grace, I was able to do it. Okay, so I can also then at least memorize one verse and share one verse with a lost person. Hit that fear head on. Don't be shackled by fear. Just squash the fear. Fear God, squash the other fear. And then number six, and we'll be done. And as you've noticed, all of these has been rooted in Scripture, but some of these last ones, yes, they're in Scripture, but maybe not necessarily as exegetical as the others. Also, some things that I want us to think about. Uh, and it's true with number six as well. It, it, I believe all the points are biblical, but it may, may, may not be necessarily super, super explicit, but I think it's biblical theology. Number six is a case in point. Go easy, go easy on reading Christian martyr books. Go easy on reading Christian martyr books. What do I mean? I've read so many, so many, so many, so many books about Christian biographies and martyrs. They can be helpful. But also, it can be somewhat overwhelming. It can be somewhat intimidating. It can be somewhat daunting. So you mean, if I want to be a missionary, I'm going to be speared to death like Jim Elliot? Because he's... Basically, he's a modern missionary, and he was speared to death. You know, we can read, I think, if we're not careful, too many biographies about martyrs, Then, and I think it's helpful to read these books and to see that these people lay down their lives. But if I go to India, or if I go to Papua New Guinea, am I going to end up being food? Are they going to eat me alive? And there are martyrs even today. There are, definitely. But for us in America, yes, you may be persecuted, but most people in America are not killed for sharing the gospel. Even in Hebrews 11, many in there were not martyred. Moses wasn't martyred. Abraham was not martyred. Many in Hebrews 11 weren't martyred. Some were. Some weren't. So what I'm saying is, I would like, maybe you can write it. Somebody needs to write a book about a very ordinary Christian. They did nothing significant except they loved God, they loved their family, loved their church, and shared the gospel. And there was no big movement that happened. They were ordinary, faithful Christians. Sometimes I wonder about Lesser James all the other disciples that aren't mentioned? You, know, you have James, John, Peter, Thomas. Nathaniel is mentioned some. What about all these other apostles? Maybe they're not mentioned that much because they weren't as bad as Peter. Maybe. <laughs> Maybe they were more faithful. Who knows? What I am saying is, Sometimes I think that we can think that it's the, the well-known people that have all these books and truly did some, at least outward, explicitly sacrificial service. That that, that is the, the norm of Christianity. And only if I can attain to that, but I can't attain to that. Or it seems too overwhelming or, or, or too daunting. When the Lord may want you to be you. God created you to be you, but to be you as you pursue Christ didn't create you to be Hutch and Taylor or Amy Michael. You don't have to be them. You don't have to be anybody else, even in this church. You have to be like Jesus and be you. God created you special and his providence and has given you special spiritual gifts. He wants to use you as you are, as you see Christ. Not as you read some historical biography... And, oh, I I want to be like that person. We can learn from them what to do and what to not do. And then pursue Jesus and be you. Don't try to be some historical past figure. Be the present you and Christ, and God will use you. Do you know how we reach the world? We reach the world for Christ by you and I, ordinary Christians, being faithful where we are. That's how we reach the world for Christ. There are times when laziness or fear can be a a hurdle that we have to jump over. Uh, But by God's grace, as we apply these six basic principles... None of them are overwhelming. As we apply these six basic principles, we'll be able, by God's grace, to evangelize more faithfully. And I pray that God would work in your hearts and that you would see that what is true, you will apply and do. And that God would keep us and make us more faithful to share his loving gospel. Lord, we thank you for your word. We thank you for your truth, Lord. I thank you for my mom who shared the gospel with me almost every single day. And for Robert Tully, when I was the only student in his Sunday school class, and, and he taught me through the book of Romans for a whole year. Lord, thank you for, for them, and I thank you that you saved me. Lord, save any here that don't know Christ, and we pray that you would equip us to be more faithful in sharing your gospel. We praise you for Christ's sake. Amen.